The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Paxton Wright. With me is Justin Kiever and uh, as well the uh, uh, soothing hold tones of the Delta Airlines uh, uh, phone line. That's right, folks. I've been on hold with Delta for three hours. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I don't need to re- recount my lovely experiences trying to register uh, my cat on a flight, but yeah, um, this is a mess. I, if I, if I get the, if I hear someone on the other end, I'm taking this call because I don't want to do this again. So just that's, that's the warning going into uh, our discussion today. I hear, uh, I hear moving a cat is a nightmare. Uh, yeah, I mean, I fortunately am not really uh, moving the cat. I'm just sort of, you know, just taking him on a flight. My cat's good on planes. Like he just kind of like when he travels, he's just, he gets very quiet. I think it's like, honestly, it's kind of sad. I think it's just because he has a lot of travel anxiety, but fortunately it manifests in him being just absolutely silent right. the whole time. So like, he's really, he's very well behaved. Um, but yeah, um, he's actually, yeah, fortunately, he's not that bad because he can be an annoying little like whiny yapper sometimes. And uh, but he's not that on planes. And that's and that's good. Well, there you go. There you go. He's not like me. Um, <laughs> so. So, yeah, we are. We are. You, you know, you know, the drill with us. We talk about movies. We talk about video games. We talk about everything in between uh and I've, i'm just i'm gonna keep it straight with y'all i woke up very shortly before recording this so i barely know where i even am right now so you know we're, we're just good we're gonna we're gonna barrel through this as best we can justin justin buddy yeah what's up i, I hear they're making some movies these days um uh yeah they are making some movies did you hear that some of them are based on video games I, I think, you know, I may have picked this up at some point that, uh, that this, I might have heard that through the grapevine. Um, yeah, so some of them are based on video games. And uh, another thing I thought was interesting that I've also been hearing is mm-hmm. people think that these, uh, these movies that are being made that are based on these video games that have been made uh, are maybe not going to be very good. 
really? I mean, see, that's really surprising to me because, I mean, historically, movies based on video games have all been fantastic. I mean, we uh, just saw them knock it out of the part with Mortal Kombat like a few weeks ago. Oh, right. I for, I talked about that. I watched that movie and talked about it and led the discussion about it on the show, and I forgot that I watched it. <laughs> you led the discussion frankly. on that movie like two weeks ago on the show. Oh, that's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, so the new Mortal Kombat movie, if just fantastic. You can check the uh, check the archives for uh, my thoughts on that. Um you know, the, the works of Paul W. Sanderson. Uh, well, actually, as we have discussed, you know, they are movies that one can appreciate, uh, but you have to do so with a sort of, you know, with an eye for that sort of thing, I suppose, to put it uh, weirdly euphemistically in the, you know, they're not good in the way that we normally talk about movies being good, I guess. Or you have to, like, it's a certain analytical eye. I don't know. Anyway, we talked about this for half an hour. Uh, yeah, a couple months ago. You just yeah. just go search for one of the silly titles that we give these shows on the podcast that looks like it says something about Paul W. S. Anderson or Resident Evil. It's in one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, and then let's see. We have the Assassin's Creed, um, which I never actually saw. Neither did I. Neither did uh, 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 a single person that wasn't you know michael fassbender and who am i kidding michael fassbender didn't sit and watch assassin's creed he didn't watch that movie um yeah so i mean nobody watched wow yeah so anyway uh these are a lot of really quality films uh, a lot of like really exciting things that uh happen when the worlds of the cinema and the video game come together uh you know just like two two great tastes that taste great together but uh, I was trying to think of foods and then I couldn't think of any foods. Peanut, peanut butter and ham, baby. <laughs> you know, uh, my slap, favorite. Slap that on some bread and uh, call it Monster Hunter. <laughs> Another um, movie that just came out. <laughs> just came out. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, so they're making an Uncharted movie. Uh, there was, um, you know, like we've been getting like a drip feed of information about the Uncharted movie based on uh, Naughty Dog's uh, series of games called Uncharted. And yeah, they released a new still the other day because that's, you know, yeah, you know, seriously a drip feed, you know, just the doing the old promotional still thing. And uh, yeah, it's an image of uh, Tom Holland playing Nathan Drake, uh, pointing a flashlight up. Uh, and then next to him is Mark Wahlberg. And who's Mark Wahlberg playing, Paxton? Uh, well, who else would he play but uh, Nathan Drake's aging, cantankerous, uh, sort of Burt Reynolds-esque mentor, uh, Sully. I want to call. I keep wanting to call him Sully Sullenberger, but that's obviously not correct. But they call is, him Sully. Wait, is and... that obviously not correct? Who's Sully Sullenberger? He's the, the, the pilot that... Oh, that's that the pilot. Okay. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were going for a bit here. No. I wasn't sure I was if you were going to be into like... They're one in the name. same. They both have white mustaches. To yeah, be exactly. They're, they're basically the same person. Um, <laughs> did a... 
what's Sully's last name? I don't know. I, I keep wanting to say his now I want to say his name is Michael Sully, which I'm also 90% positive isn't right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom of this right now with my detective skills. Um, he is listed as Uncharted Sully when I Google him. <laughs> I don't think he's, it's Victor. It's Victor Sully oh, Sullivan. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the adventures of Nathan Drake and Uncharted. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyway, obviously, two like real Uncharted experts here to discuss the Uncharted film that's going to that's going to come out eventually. I apparently, should, I should attest I've played that trilogy of games a few times. There's four I, of the, there's four of them, Paxton. Oh, right, four exists. And four is actually considered one of the better ones. Yeah, four is actually very good. It's four is like, good, but uh, I, 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 it, it felt, you know, it's, you know, four, uh, Uncharted four had the same Toy Story four energy, where it's like this is really good. This still feels tacked on. This still yeah. feels like it's not supposed to be here. Yeah, I mean, the Uncharted and like this is sort of like one of the things where, you know, we'll we'll get into the other like, you know, game adaptation news that hit this week, which is not really much news, but is like even more, I don't know, it's somewhat baffling. Uh, so when I think back about like the early Uncharted games, you know, like the things that really... It, even though it makes a certain amount of intuitive sense to like want to adapt these into some kind of like blockbuster franchise, right? Because I mean, these are fil- these are games that were sort of you know celebrated at the time for being especially cinematic, um, and yeah, and and they were huge hits and they're big silly action hits. So it seems like you know a thing that like yeah, you're like you know bring that up into uh, bring that up into movies. You know, it'll be great. Um, the thing is, when I think about the Uncharted games, like really, really outside of four and like some aspects of three, uh, th- these games don't have much in the way of an identity, frankly, because I mean, they are they're they're Indiana Jones with more shooting. Yeah, I mean, they exist as really just a sort of uh, a a by the numbers, tried and true, like indiana jones tomb raider treasure of the sierra madre like adventure story and they're 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 not trying to really reinvent the formula they're really just giving you that same that same formula you know and love and say okay now play it and do a lot of climbing and yeah. it's really about just introduce. I mean, yeah, of course, of one of those three things I mentioned, I also mentioned Tomb Raider, but Tomb Raider is a bit more of a puzzle platformer. It's it's a slightly different beast. But although I mean, I guess Uncharted is a platformer. They're different. Shut up. But uh, but like the idea is they take that formula and then just let you play it rather than spectate. And, yeah. But it doesn't want it. it Uncharted has very little interest in taking any sort of bold twists or subversions or commentary on the genre in any way it's just it wants to give you a again a simple by the numbers uh, adventure story and there's nothing wrong with that i like i like uncharted story and i like its characters they're charming but yeah. there's nothing that i need to see adapted to film that's really going to break the mold on what the adventure film is or what uncharted is 
Yeah, yeah. And like that's kind of the thing that like when you think about like the the way these games are celebrated for being cinematic, like they were, you know, technical achievements that are very temporally specific in how impressive they are. And like really like so, you know, if you because if you try and like really look at any of these things in terms of well, in terms of their, you know, quote unquote cinematic quality, like how good is the the editing or the cinematography or like the digital cinematography? It's kind of like, yeah, it's fine. You know, like if you were to try and like, tr- but if you were to like really try and translate like a style, like an uncharted style into film, if you're going to like actually try and capture the aesthetic of these games, like really the only thing that you could do is just like have a lot of long takes because games are technically composed of a lot of long takes because you get like these unbroken sort of, you know, sequences of platforming and such. But like, yeah, like the, you know, like the cinematography is fine. It's nothing, you know, like it's just, it's, it's functional primarily. Another way way you could reflect it too is by having action scenes wherein Tom Holland murders hundreds of people (laughs) and then immediately follows it up by cracking jokes you you sure could that, you, that if you want to hold true to the franchise have the like the coolest charmingest guy in the world more or less commit genocide J- just, just like commit, uh, commit henchman genocide yeah, yeah exactly um <laughs> yeah there's really i mean yeah like that really is the thing and like that's why like uncharted you know there was a there's a brief period in like the video game criticism blogosphere where uh back when that existed from the years of basically 2007 to like 2015 uh the term ludonarrative dissonance uh got you know tossed around a lot and like uncharted and particularly like uncharted 2 um was like very kind of was very prominent in that discussion because yeah you have this kind of like this very obvious dissonance between you know like the the charming uh almost like nearly happy-go-lucky protagonist and like the pretty considerably violent gameplay of the uncharted games um like bloodlessly violent primarily but still you know a lot of shooting a lot of death i mean your body count by the end of one of those games has got to be anywhere between i would wager three and seven hundred and yeah like i think like the um one of them was at least one of them was old enough to like have it like have like a stats thing you know like back when that was sort of a thing where you could like see like you know like where games would record your stats and you can mm-hmm. go look at them and i'm pretty sure yeah like my in a playthrough of uncharted 2 my t- the tally was like a thousand uh those are it's, all all men with with you know wives and children and families and you know it's a very so i mean that and that is actually the one thing the one thing that uncharted kind of has going for it in terms of like you know an adaptation uh is nathan drake as a character like they do some kind of interesting things with nathan drake as a character like he's mostly just sort of you know white protagonist man but like the like the plot of three as much as i remember like you know, outside of it's like adventure story kind of a drives most of it. There's like this interrogation of Drake's backstory where kind of the opening, um, the, the, rather the first game, he's like, you know, supposed to be a descendant of Cortez or something like some, some pirate, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, the thing that you find out in three is that he's absolutely not that he is, you know, like the, 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 like the, basically like his adventuring is this kind of uh, the, the result of him sort of like looking for an identity as a young, as a young orphan, basically like he and his brother, I believe were orphans and 
yeah, he sort of like takes on adventuring as this sort of like this fantasy that kind of uh, that sustains basically his like, you know, point like, you know, his perceived like pointlessness of his existence. And like that ends up kind of like driving him basically as an adult. And like, you know, so there's this real like there's like almost this like critique of the kind of like, you know, white colonialist fantasy that kind of like undergirds a lot of Uncharted in three it doesn't quite get there and i think four even though four has some really good character beats i think four doesn't really uh um doesn't get there either and that that is you know like if i was adapting uncharted if, if i was suddenly like you know tasked with adapting uncharted that is probably the thing i would try and interrogate where you go like okay like i'm going to you know you can try and basically have your cake and eat it too where you know like you have this big adventure but you try and kind of like you know use the character as a way to critique the adventure genre and like maybe even have like you know a little too much gun violence as a way to kind of like you know emphasize how wrong all of this is like that would be my kind of yeah if yeah it would be my kind of uh uncharted too uh i will tell you it would not be sony pictures kind of uncharted yes definitely and that (laughs) yeah and, and like that's like the like on the on the industrial side of thing that's the thing that's really weird about a lot of these adaptations where like you think about like the assassin's creed movie which was published by ubisoft right like yeah i think it was like i I mean ubisoft was involved in production like to be sure i'm pretty sure let me um i just remember i just remember so little about that movie um so there's this um uh well anyway i yeah, well, we can look into this at some point. Maybe confirm that in the second half. Um, but yeah, no, like Ubisoft, like a Ubisoft. Well, I mean, it might just be because they own it, but like a Ubisoft logo showed and like you know showed up in the uh, you know in the uh, uh, trailers and all of that. Again, I never actually saw the film because it reviewed so terribly. Um, but uh, yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, like Sony is making these things. It is part of the you know, the, you know, Sony conglomerate that is just sort of, you know, controlling its IP and, you know, like trying to make these things and like make all of their things into like bigger media, you know, I guess, you know, media properties, media events, whatever. And like, that's the thing with, um, uh, with, uh, uh, the the last of us that they're doing uh, as well, which is like, cause isn't, I'm pretty sure I need to, um, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I need oh, to go. Delta Airlines. Delta. I got that Delta Airlines. I we will, will return right shortly. Uh, thank you. Uh, all right. I'm going to start recording. I'm going to start uh, timing now. All right. We are back. Uh, Justin, how how was uh, how was your exchange with Delta? I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, everyone's doing great. There. You know, I'll pass that along. You know, I'm sure they'll be grateful that you asked. Uh, <laughs> I got, I, got, I got some good buddies at delta so you know i, I just want i just want them to know that i still have uh they still have my support <laughs> um yeah uh well i'm sure they appreciate that yeah no that's fine um it's you know a bit silly that you have to make a call to register a pet and can't do it online but you know whatever um yeah anyway but uh we were not discussing delta airlines before delta airlines uh featured on this uh on this episode but we can start now oh let's not um yeah no so yeah no i think uh, we we were discussing kind of uh sony's sort of like control of their video game adaptations and the thing that like really um and and, like how ubisoft or like at least in my memory ubisoft kind of had a 
let's say an authorial hand in the uh, in the Assassin's Creed film, mm-hmm. and yeah, so Sony, and I mean, like you know, think about like uh, the Last of Us, which has become sort of you know obviously like which is from being this you know hit in 2013 has become like their one of their sort of like flagship prestige franchises basically basically they're like the flagship prestige franchise for sony have, yeah they have way less games than uh even uncharted does and they they've really sort of usurped the throne as like the definitive uh franchise for naughty dog yeah yeah i mean they have a part one and a part two right yeah. and um and you know like those in my understanding like those games do numbers and they have this kind of a, this veneer of seriousness about them, which, you know, on the one hand is quite silly because they're zombie games. They are well-acted, well-performed zombie games. And the first one I think is genuinely great. I think the second one is uh, less great, but it does have like one pretty amazing scene. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the, but like the thing is, you know, so, the last of us has been this kind of there, there's been this sort of like paratextual expansion around the last of us which i think has been uh okay yeah all right um, well we'll see you after this break and we'll be back with feast in the east uh, quality analysis um well the, the main thing i remember was there was this uh this big event where um they were doing basically they did like a stage show of like scenes from the last of us right and uh you know like with the original actors and the thing about the stage show was that there was no um i i, I never heard when did this happen what was this was this? this was this was years ago this was this probably would have been within two years of the initial games uh, release um probably like within a year i don't know like, like when it basically became evident that this thing was like a big event that it was you know like worth like taking seriously um, in that kind of like, you know, prestige way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they did this big stage show. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just um, with basically Neil Druckmann, you know, the game's director and I think principal writer narrating kind of like, you know, the, like what happens between each of these like little individual scenes that were getting uh, del- del- uh, uh, performed. And it, to, to be frank, it was an embarrassing spectacle because there was no, like no, you know, no, no set, no, th- like, you know, no um, mise-en-scene at all. Like it was just entirely the actors against a black backdrop kind of, and it was meant to be, you can tell that this is meant to be like, no, like, you know, we removed all of like the trappings and this is just this is the, the pure drama, you know, like just like the, the virtuosic writing and performances of these people. I will it's say like, they, know, they tried that same thing a few years ago with Grim Fandang go and it was already kind of a clunky mess no i i can't do i i don't know why they would think that would work with like the the prestige character drama um and just tragic overtones of uh the last of us i don't really know how that would be more of a success why are they trying to do that with grim fandango i I, it was an e3 thing it was when they announced that they were doing the remasters (laughs) and it was like a 10 minute thing where tim schaefer read like and so then manny printed out a fake betting stub and walked into the casino to make sure that blah 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 happened and then here's what manny said to gladys take it away it's it's uncomfortable but that's that sounds really that actually is interesting because i think i am pretty sure at e3 um the the grim fandango remaster was announced at a sony press conference back when sony was doing their like basically their indie push which they are extremely no longer doing (laughs) um 
So that's a, that might actually have some kind of like basis in this Last of Us thing that I think came before that. Um, I, I, I might have my timeline wrong for you know people who are like who remember these like weird uh, little events. But yeah, no, it was an embarrassing spectacle because like the performance, like the acting was you know fine, but like you know a little more theatrical predictably. And yeah, no, it's just like but yeah, it doesn't work when you know everything else isn't there because it's a zombie story. Like it's a pretty good one. Like I would say it's even a great one, but it's just a zombie story. And the thing is like, so the HBO production, like, you know, it's being co-written by uh, the guy that did Chernobyl, which makes sense. It's also being written by Neil Druckmann, you know, like the writer of the game. So the, this, the guy who wrote the and made the, th- the thing isn't also adapting it. And that is the kind of like, yeah, it's the sort of careful control and like, I, I can't imagine that's interesting because it's just someone retelling their own story and there's no interpretation happening. There's not really, you know, it, it's just so, it, it feels so like cynical, frankly, to like have that be like the writing or have him on the writing staff for this adaptation. And, and, I, and, I, th- and I think like that, you know, we didn't even get to talk about the portal film that is apparently still happening, which is going to be a disaster because JJ Abrams is doing it. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna happen, and also maybe J.J. Abrams is doing Half Life. I, I, I don't know. I, we were saying before we started recording this. One quick thing I'll say: I don't think that there is no potential for a an adaptation of Portal to another medium like film or television. I don't know why you wouldn't go like the if you're gonna go any route though. Well, I know why you wouldn't because the, because money. But like, if you wanted to do something that actually had some more integrity and actually could do something more interesting with the story and world of Portal, go the route that uh, Netflix did with Castlevania. Do a little, you know, an animated miniseries about like what went down before Aperture Science went uh, went caca. There's something cool there you could do. I, I, I th- making it a large budget uh, spectacle, uh, helmed by the, I guess you'd call him the king of large budget spectacle spectacles. Like he's a simultaneous like the king and the jester of large budget spectacles. Um, I, I I don't I don't get it. I don't know why. And yeah, you know I say money, but even then, really, yeah, Portal's a hit certainly critically and has a diehard fan base do the masses really care that much about portal i that movie gonna make money i mean i would say that it's probably an equivalent audience for like portal and half-life and i don't know i mean it'll probably be fine ish i mean like anything can be big with enough of a marketing push behind it and i think that's just the kind of the variable i mean, I mean I for feel like you, you get you get abrams in there to make star wars you get him in there to make uh star trek you get him in there for the giant big ticket franchises that are going to to make goofy returns i i, I just don't get why you would I don't get the purpose of putting him on a franchise like Portal, which like could you know maybe modestly retake its like remake its budget and then some, but not gonna. I, I can't see that it could really do gangbusters. Yeah, like um, like 
portal this like you know lightly dark comedy game about like navigating weird spaces it's and possible like eh. it's possible that uh you know this there this could be some sort of backroom punishment uh for the rise of skywalker for being uh, obviously a critical disaster and also kind of destroying any last bit of legitimacy that Disney had with the star Wars reboots. And also certainly obviously being a big financial success, but not being the financial success they'd hoped it would be. Uh, yeah. Who knows? I, 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 who knows? I mean, if JJ Abrams is good for one thing, it's completely a uh, misunderstanding why popular nerd things are interesting. We're good. Um, and so I can't wait to see what he does with Portal and Half-Life. Taking but, a task. Maybe this will teach him a thing or two. Yeah, exactly. You guys on college radio. We got you, <laughs> JJ. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it seems like though we are maybe on the, the verge of a lot of game adaptations that in addition to being not good are also just incredibly safe and boring. And that's, you know, I'll take a Paul W. Sanderson movie over that any day of the week. Exactly. I st- I still want to see Monster Hunter. I want to know what yeah. that's all about because that seems not safe and not boring and terrible. Yep. But it at least seems like it's a Paul W. S. Anderson video game adaptation. And you know what? I'm here for it. You know what? I think I'm gonna do it. I know what I'm gonna do with my evening tonight. I'll report back next week how Monster Hunter is. All right. Holding my to word. That. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. Stay with us, folks. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is socially distanced. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Kiever, and with me is my co-host, Paxton Wright. That's me, Paxton Wright. How you doing? What's up? How what, how's the family? Uh they're good. Thank, thank you. They're yeah. they're yeah, they're there. They're there. So they're, how do you they're, they're family? When they're there, their family, are family you, where, there. Where are you? Where are you? Are you taking this to Olive Garden, Meme? Anyway, hi, you're listening to KUCI. <laughs> um, uh, 
<laughs> you know, this has been kind of the, the general tone of the episode in general, and we're, <laughs> we're not going to stop now. And generally, um, this has generally been the general tone of this episode in general. Yeah. Um, oh, God. <laughs> do we even keep going at this point i think question. we i think we do oh, man. Uh, all right yeah. well so i don't know what are we gonna talk we want to talk it's feast in the west it's time to time to talk about media we've been feasting on what have you my my feast has been a decadent one in the last uh, couple of weeks i've actually been feasting on a number of things but i'm really only going to talk about one of them uh well i will say i uh i Oh, excuse me. Um, I just, uh, I'm actually in the middle of playing the uh, Mass Effect trilogy uh, lately. Uh, I am about 20 ish hours into Mass Effect 1 and uh, we'll be going through that whole trilogy soon enough. And unfortunately, that does include uh, three, or I guess about 40. The unfortunate really, really, really lies on like 40% of three. but we can talk about Mass Effect in our time because I do want to talk about it once in a bit more in deep. Uh, another thing I feasted on that uh, was head over heels for, and f- I was frankly a little skeptical going in, was uh, Resident Evil Village. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, hesitant going in, didn't really uh, know if it was going to be for me despite being a Resident Evil fan. Seemed like a real departure from the franchise that we usually know. And then I saw her and, you know, and, my heart and then you was, were a believer. And then, <laughs> and then I saw her shoes. There you go. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like the soles of her shoes would have been more, more there clear. We go. There still, we go. That's yeah. acceptable. I'll, I'll yeah. take it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I, I've been hearing some mixed buzz about Resident Evil 8. I understand that you are mostly kind of a huge fan uh, of this game, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. I, um, you know, I played 7. I, too, saw her face and became a believer. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, before, we, but I guess before we dive in, can you give us like a little bit of like, what's the setup for Resident Evil 8? Yeah, so basically, um, you play as Ethan Winters from uh, uh, Resident Evil 7, um, and some events transpire, which bring you to this small village in the middle of Europe, and then there's this giant lady in there, and basically, a lot of stuff happens throughout the game and throughout the story, and, you know, there's, there's story things and other characters that come in, but really... Uh, you know, it's all about, it's all about the book ending around the giant lady is really just fluff. Ultimately we're here for lady D and that's about it. And so if you want to get in deep, I can tell you plenty about lady D here. Um, uh, please do. Okay. Well, I, I don't know how much I can commit to this bit still. No, I'm going to answer your question sincerely now. Basically, uh, yes, you play as you play as uh, uh, Ethan Winters from Resident Evil 7. Uh, the game opens up with, it's, uh, I guess, mild spoilers for RE7. I'm not going to get into the entire ending of it. Uh, these games, Resident Evil games are weird in that they have the stupidest like plot that is at once very bare bones once you break it down but is so riddled with fluff and convolution that it's actually really hard to like break it down simplistically um 
What were you gonna yeah, say? I know. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, that, that seems very much to be the case. Cause I'm like, I don't, I haven't played all of these games. I have no idea how a lot of them hook together. And frankly, I don't actually know where seven takes place in the timeline or like what Chris Redfield is the end of seven. Cause he shows up at the end of seven to basically go like, hi, I'm Chris Redfield. It is Chris, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and, and then he whisks you away and then Resident Evil 8 starts. I mean, basically the way, uh, the, my understanding as being someone that's played all the numerical games barring six, because why would I? Um, and then Code Veronica and some of Outbreak. Um, so I, having played like basically all the games in that franchise that matter at all, um, I can tell you that those numerical games basically do all apply to the canon. I'm actually not sure that six does because I know six again, having not played it, but I know that six is basically like the world ends in six, like everything goes to hell. And then by seven, which I believe takes place on the timeline after six there's no acknowledgement of the world ever having gone to hell so i'm think i think they just kind of casually retconned the events of six if i'm not mistaken but i do believe i i do believe the events of zero through five um are all still canon okay yeah so well anyway so like seven is about a schmuck who like whose girlfriend goes missing in louisiana and I think it's Louisiana. The opening yeah. cutscene sure looks like True Detective. So, um, and then goes and finds her. And then, oh, whoops, there's a family of Resident Evil the, the, zombie. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre family is here, but also they uh, have regenerative health and can't die. Yeah. Yeah. And are, and are ultimately sympathetic because they've been like corrupted by something from like a nearby corporation. Right. In a, you know in a metaphor that's frankly hard to parse um but uh no, i i like that about seven i actually i really loved resident evil seven um it's yeah it's great but uh yeah i know and then and then doesn't isn't chris working for sorry i know this is just like this is me trying to remember how resident evil seven ends doesn't doesn't chris show up working for umbrella so chris shows up working for umbrella because they it's a thing they like weirdly don't really get into hardly at all in re8 and i figured mm-hmm. would be a massive plot point because chris plays a really essential role in re8 but basically like, they talk about like uh, like umbrella has rebranded they've like been bought out by another company the details are a little fuzzy because i know most of the umbrella stuff is explained in a dlc for seven that is not very good oh okay so i i actually really i replayed seven just recently before going into eight because i did want to get that refresher then i was like wait they never explained the umbrella oh that's in that dlc right i was like i it's it's resident evil's plot it really doesn't matter that much it's fine and so then i just i just hopped over to eight but but Mm. uh uh yeah so resident evil eight begins it actually has a really it has a really interesting open it has an opening that's kind of reminiscent to that of the resident evil 3 remake which despite that game being also a little bit hit and miss um really does open strong wherein you're you're playing as ethan a few years down the road in his home where it's like they've they like imply that like he and uh mia his girlfriend from the first game who is now uh his wife and they're living together with their newborn child 
um it, uh, it's like they 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 uh, do mention that like they're living in like somewhere in like scandinavia or like northern europe um because they've been relocated there by chris because they're basically people are on the look for them people are on the hunt for them basically and so the game sort of starts your simple life you're sitting around having dinner with mia you put the baby to bed and then while you're having dinner there's just a laser sight on mia's chest and you're like wait what and then leah mia just gets blown to hell <laughs> from out the window and the like the whole home just gets swarmed by commandos and so you basically just see mia the woman that you have spent the entire previous game working to save in an instant just get taken down and then of course chris shows up uh he he knocks you out and then you wake up later uh next to a collapsed truck in the uh in like the the sort of frozen mountains um with a few dead soldiers scattered about and you're the survivor and so basically you make your way into this nearby village which has been overrun by uh by by like this sort of kooky band of like ghouls it's like the mon it's like the monsters of the week are like the main villains it's there's so there's hmm. giant vampire lady of course and then some other guys uh but then <laughs> you, you got you got giant vampire lady you got uh uh really depressed self-loathing fish man who is actually probably legit my favorite character in the game um a criminally underrated re villain who i really hope more of a uh a fan base evolves around because he's just an re villain with horribly low self-esteem and just like is constantly like crapping on himself and talking about how bad he is at everything he tries to do and it's just like he's a he's a fun addition to the cast but then you've also got a spooky doll like an annabelle doll who's okay. fine and then you have magneto um you have a steampunk cowboy man who is magneto uh and cool <laughs> yeah no it's it's neat. all right there the, these are this is your rogues gallery for re8 oh, you find out that sounds that? amazing that sounds yeah. amazing it's very it's it's very neat and so you find out that they have kidnapped your daughter and like I won't get into the whole convoluted nature of this because I do want people to play the game themselves, but they have basically, they don't show you because that would be too barbaric even for Resident Evil, but they tell you that they have like chopped up your daughter into several pieces and put those pieces into these jars. Um, and then you need to like the sort of like the MacGuffin of the game is you need to like go and like collect these jars and place them into the central pillar <laughs> in the middle of the village to reassemble your daughter um oh wow yeah and so then the entire game is you make your way through this village you have to go and fight each of these different bad guys in different sort of set pieces uh and, and all really great boss fights that is one thing i will absolutely give major props to re8 for like it's one of the only resident evil games i can think of where every single boss fight is a banger they're all fun um wow. and uh and yeah, but so the, so then you basically the main enemy types are like ghoul vampire men who are kind of generic or whatever. They're not very 
they, they aren't particularly fun. But then there's also the lichens who are just werewolves. And the werewolves mm-hmm. are fun as hell to fight. They are a great, great enemy type. They're like the Ganados, but from RE4, but even kind of more slippery and wily. So like you they're they're like a legitimate challenge to fight. And sometimes the game will throw hordes of them at you. And it's it is like the game is often just overwhelming with how much it throws at you. And it is not it's not the most challenging game but it's harder than something like four it's harder than something like seven it's a tough game oh wow yeah and then i will say like the so the thing that i think you mentioned like this game's been a little more divisive for people and the reason being it's it's divisive because it's divisive in the way that re4 was divisive and to a lesser extent re5 and uh in the way that every re game is divisive nowadays in that like it's different you mm-hmm. so re7 was also kind of controversial because it was the first time it went into first person and it also had like outlast elements as well where you did have a stalking mechanic where there was a character that you couldn't kill that you just had to hide from and that wasn't the whole game but it was a big part of it and so but re7 was first person and very 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 focused on horror and light on action and what action was there was terrible um re- i don't even remember the action in re7 exactly like, it was there was quite a bit of it especially in the latter half the latter half more shifts to action and it's so unmemorable re7 is a great game really because of the first half yeah like i remember the boss fight with the mother in re7 and like that's it that part frankly that part like that, that part's great that that was that was a scary that game's scary so oh, yeah. yeah so i think that yeah like it seemed divisive because like re7 was like i, I haven't played again i've not played all these games it was easily the most frightening resident evil game i've played and i think up there for like you know sustained tension yes like, it's um like it is extremely extremely hard to play for extended bouts of time I, I would um, put it at least it a- was for me yeah, I would put it at a close second to RE2 Remake. Primarily just the Mr. X sequence of RE2 Remake I like is one of the scariest experiences I've ever had playing <laughs> a game. Um, yeah, but, it's, it's good. Yeah, but I, like the thing is RE8 absolutely takes a hard shift to action. Horror, it, it goes way, way lighter on horror and it wants to, it, it wants to do to RE7 what RE4 did to the first three more so the first two re games um it wants to take it in a completely new direction and so yeah that's going to frustrate a lot of people um now that being said i have always been more partial to horror resident evil over action resident evil and i i love re4 i re4 is one of my favorite games ever re3 remake which is more action heavy quite good too not perfect but quite good um original resident evil 3 which is sort of the proper tried and true halfway point i like more than the original resident evil 2 um so i like yeah i i think there's a time and place for it for sure but i am slightly more partial to horror the reason re8 did it for me so well is because you do have that um you do have it, it is it is action resident evil like it makes no pretense about it however the what horror is there was really effective for me because i think we discussed this a few weeks ago and we talked true detective that aesthetic of like of like pagan you know e- 
evil sticks and forests <laughs> they scare me i don't like them they make yeah, me yeah. really nervous yeah i think we texted about this as well like like evil bundles of twine you know like evil arrangements of sticks in the woods like it really works for you and really works for me too like it's yeah just, no i um, mean i i would like uh, yeah i i am I get far more panic out of something like, I mean, if we're just talking like sort of mainstream horror, uh, Blair Witch Project gets me infinitely more than like The Conjuring does, I guess, just for yeah. putting two franchises out there. I, just, I don't like sticks. I don't like sticks. It's not, I don't look right. You, you find a stick and then, you know, the next thing you know, you find someone's severed tongue and it's just like, mm. and then, you know, your friend's just going to be standing in the corner next. It's not, it's not going to be pretty. Um, <laughs> but no, I think the thing that is really the thought that I really had while playing resident evil eight more and more. So as I went through it was now we talked really early on in this show, you and I, like one of our first couple episodes after the announcement was made that there was a very valid rumor, not hard confirmed, but very valid that um, a Resident Evil 4 remake was in development alongside Village, uh, like what they did with 2 and 3. And after playing this, I don't know what they're going to do because this is absolutely the, like this is the spiritual successor to resident evil four in so many conceivable ways, not just in terms of the fact that it is an action oriented resident evil that takes place in a European village, not just because you fact, uh, not just because of the fact that you swap the zombies out with a uh, faster, more nimble enemy type that can also use weapons, not just because of the fact that there is a fight with a giant fish in the game, <laughs> uh like not just the fact that there is an attache case in the game the first resident evil game to bring the attache case back which i love it's great it's still it's it feels it feels like i'm home again using that thing it's 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 beautiful it works like butter um (laughs) but yeah it's just through and through uh even like kind of the um the villains themselves while not like being really carbon copies of any of the characters do feel reminiscent oh there's also i forgot to mention there's also boss fights with giants and uh characters and a boss fight with a character that is basically the same thing as um I forget what they're called but those guys in re4 but the who are blind who have like the big wolverine claws oh uh, yeah yeah there's yeah, a boss yeah. fight with basically one of those exact same guys so oh, wow. all this being there i don't know what they can even do for an re4 remake at this point i don't know what their what their plan of attack could even be and it makes me slightly optimistic that maybe it won't actually happen and they can leave well enough alone and actually try and remake something like code veronica or zero that could desperately use a remake maybe maybe that- probably not yeah no i mean to me it just seems like they have a lot of things that they can reuse in an re4 remake which would be the least exciting option um but yeah no that is really it is kind of surprising that they're like they go that deep in on like hey remember re4 here you go i mean and it's it sounds cool though and like i and i like the um and even like the having like the um you know, the rogues gallery of like wacky villains. I mean, like that was, you know, RE4 didn't have like a rogues gallery, but it did have, you know, you had like the priest guy and then you had Napoleon 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and like doubling down on having like, you know, like a wacky, like kind of group actually seems like it seems like a nice advancement over RE4. That's actually, yeah, that's a really good, because I that's one comparison I hadn't really even thought of is that, yes, the, the, the villains of RE4, the main antagonists, are like not like a collective group. They're just the the big boss of each stage you go to basically you don't really see them interact yeah uh, which this does deliver that but absolutely it has that same kind of cadence of like like oh who's this wacky character what's his like they, they are like they are all so bold in their personalities and again like if you want a good wacky villain who the internet doesn't care enough about because they're all so obsessed with big lady as they should be uh moreau the sad fish man like one of my favorite video game characters in recent memory i absolutely love moreau the sad fish man you know or his name is moreau which is just a good name for a resident evil villain (laughs) that is a very good name for a resident evil villain but anyway fine but paxton i'll do my duty then and i'll ask Will the sad fish man step on me? He could probably get something done with his tail. Okay. Like he could probably make okay. something like that work. I will also say, I mean, that, that like, I haven't even really gotten into the lady D section, which the lady D section, I will say was really interesting because she is a great villain. Mm-hmm. And it is a shame that like, I, I think it's not really a secret now because it's been pretty discussed to death. Lady D is really only in the first 30 or so percent of the game um that's she actually is, news to me that's very disappointing it is she is the first boss in the game and so ah. but, but her section is probably the longest part of the game yeah so you do get a lot of time with lady d but once she's gone she's gone which okay. is a shame but uh she is a great antagonist the her what's really interesting is the game is sort of divided into four parts outside the village which i haven't really even talked about the village which is sort of makeshift hub world which is also really cool because there, I keep, I'm getting so sidetracked and we have very little time left. But another really cool thing about RE8 is it really, even though the map isn't that big, there's a ton of exploration involved because it's made up of so many like winding corridors and blocked paths and little off like, like uh, forked roads. There's so much to go and see and do. It is like by far and away the most exploration of any Resident Evil game I played. It does not feel linear, even though it is fairly linear. Um, but so each of the four sections is made up of a very different uh, uh, kind of vibe, basically. So you start with Lady D's castle, which is like Gothic vampire, Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of castle, the sort of most classic resident evil at least modern resident evil take you're gonna get of sort of like running around reading notes uh uh solving little puzzles uh and then being stalked by big lady who is kind of the mr x of the game but she doesn't quite have the same level of intimidation or like prominence as mr x because she stays confined to just a few locations which is really unfortunate Mm. um she's not like mr x in that she goes everywhere but she's it's okay um and then you move on to one area which is the dolls area which is just an escape room um it's literally just like an hour-long escape room segment but that has some very cool puzzles in it and one very scary part in it um that even the people who don't find the game scary at all like i like i kind of did 
uh, pretty much everyone agrees is like the scary part of the game. Uh, then you move on to a big set piece boss fight with Fishman. And then you move on to the sort of last stage, which is sort of the game's equivalent of like the laboratory segment that all Resident Evil games need to end on, but right. a much better alternative. And because another, another nice thing too is that the Resident Evil formula has always been, even in the best games, pretty much across the board, it's always been, yeah, start off in very cool setting. Like, you know, first few hours are amazing go to less cool setting that's still pretty fun though got some cool stuff to do and then end in laboratory which is like okay this is getting tired and then it's over um mm. that's pretty much the same beat progression to every resident Evil games and this doesn't have that another thing i really love about re8 is it stays really consistently fun and like there's actually interesting stuff to see and do consistently throughout um mm. very good one last little note i will give it before we go there is so much more i could say about it but we do got to go one last little note i will give it before we go though is i started getting really optimistic after re7 and re2 and especially re3 uh remake uh with resident evils with the writing team's ability to create dialogue because resident evil 3 remake is the only Resident Evil game I played that I could say like legit has actually pretty good dialogue. Um, Resident Evil 8 uh, does not keep that trend going. <laughs> oh no, Resident Evil 8. Resident Evil 8 doesn't even take it back to the good old days of one of like pure camp. It takes it back to the good old days of like two or three original of just kind of hokey unnatural dialogue nah. uh, i will there's a character very early on there's a part very early on where he an npc dies an npc that's been helping the main character and ethan the main character gets down on all fours and starts pounding his fist on the floor and with all sincerity no joke just goes damn it why does everyone keep dying on me (laughs) (laughs) there is there was like a sense Uh, of just there was no one in the room with me and i still felt embarrassed for playing it at that point and so i kind of just sunk into my chair a little Uh, it's it's the one downgrade otherwise absolutely stellar game i will be playing it several more times uh it's very good i can't recommend it enough it's i'm I'm looking forward to trying it. All right. All right, guys. Well, we are probably running over time here, so we should get going. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to Socially Distanced. Stay safe. Stay healthy, everybody. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye.